that I'm Samuel. I was an elder here until early last year when we went down to Victoria to a little town called Sale to work in a church there. Um, and so that's where we have been. And it's been, it's been good. There's uh, good times and there's bad times. Uh, but uh, we are very thankful for what the Lord is doing. We are, like you, working our way through the Psalms at the moment. And uh, we, uh, very excitingly, have some baptisms to do when I get back. So that is very exciting. We are looking forward to that. And it will, I suppose, help serve to encourage the church and see that God does work in people. He does change people. And, and they do. he does grow his kingdom. As his word is proclaimed, as people hear and believe and repent, it's good. We are going to be in Psalm 16 today, and uh, I'm going to pray for us to get us started. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for your covenant, and that we people who were at once separated from you can be joined to you and can be found safe in you through Jesus Christ our Lord. We thank you, Lord, that we can come now and we can hear your words for us. Please teach us, instruct us. Lord, work in our hearts by your Holy Spirit. Counsel us, we pray. Soften our hard hearts. Lift up our, our, our failing spirits. Please encourage us. Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts might be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Death-defying joy. I think that's one of the things that you see in this psalm very clearly. Death-defying joy. Because, yes, it's a, it's, it's, we, we have a joy, we have hope, we have happiness that is not prevented by death. We don't need to worry that one day our hope, our joy is going to run out because the Lord provides joy even beyond the grave. So as we start to think about this, I was thinking about the concept of happiness, which is tied up a bit with joy. When we think about joy, we think about happiness. You can have joy when you're not happy, but usually these things come together. And I wonder, do you like happiness? Do you want to be happy? Kids, do you like being happy? Yeah? I, I, it's a pretty fair assumption that all of us want to be happy. But the thing about happiness is you can't say, okay, I want, to be, I want to be happy, so now therefore I'm going to work on happiness. Because happiness isn't something kind of really tangible that you can go out and, and, and get, unlike something like wealth. You know, if you wanted wealth, you can go out and you can set a plan and you can work really hard and then you achieve your, your goal of building wealth or something like that. But happiness is actually a byproduct of achieving other things. Happiness comes from, as it, as it comes along with other things that we pursue. So then the question becomes, if we want happiness, what thing are we going to pursue? What is the right thing, the good thing to pursue that produces that byproduct of happiness? Do you want great joy? Do you want the good life? Where will you find it? Our future is shaped by our pursuits. The, the, you pursue the right thing and you will have the joy, have that result of happiness and pleasure and life. But when you pursue these things for their own sake, often you don't actually end up finding them. You end up empty. 
because the reward is found by looking in the right place. What are some of the wrong places we tend to look? Well, do we look inside ourselves? Can you find happiness in anything you can do for yourself? There might be moments of happiness, but is it lasting? Will you find joy in the next thing that you consume, whether it be food or a TV show or, you know, some other thing that we pursue and consume? Is there happiness and joy? Is there life to be found in a world that is decaying and dying? This song teaches us where true life and true joy are found. It is the result of belonging to the Lord. He is the true source of goodness. He is the, he's where happiness resides. He has joy to give, abundant joy, overflowing with joy and life. And he pours out the blessing on his covenant people. He pours out the blessing on you so that your cup may overflow. But if you want to find that good life, where do we start? Where do we start? We're going to start with King David in this psalm. And we're going to see it unfold in four parts and where the good life is to be found. This psalm is Psalm 16. It's a psalm of David. It's a, it's, in your Bibles, you might see a little title. It says, a miktam. What's a miktam? Dunno. <laughs> it's probably a musical or liturgical reference to you know maybe a style or maybe it was a tune that they used to sing but it was written by David so this is coming from David the messianic king the the forerunner of Jesus Christ and that should already be putting us in a place where we're thinking hang on if this is coming from David we should be thinking how does this find its fulfillment in Jesus Christ and of course we do that with all the psalms the whole psalter is all finds its fulfillment in Jesus Christ. We find our, its usefulness, its joy, we find um, our worship in the Psalter through Jesus Christ. And it's the same with this psalm here, Psalm 16. The first section opens in verse 1 with a plea, a request. The person who sings this song looks not to themselves for their own security of provision, they look to the Lord my refuge. The Lord my refuge. He is the place of refuge, as it says in the first verse, which has gone missing. Now, the first verse, if you look in your Bibles, says, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. Is that your first port of call? When the going gets tough, when things get a bit rough, what's your first port of call? Where do you turn? Do you turn to the bottom of a bottle? Perhaps it's to the mindless binge of episode after episode. Perhaps you retreat behind a wall of anger and hostility. Or perhaps you find refuge in your work. You bury yourself under a mountain of things to do to keep you from thinking about and addressing the problems that you face. But why? Why do we turn to these worthless saviours? They won't save us from anything. Turn to God. He is a refuge. He will preserve his people. He is the rock that is higher than I. He is our refuge in time of trouble. He is a safe harbour on a sea of trouble. So pursue God. Pursue him. 
Ask him to rescue you. He is a faithful saviour, unlike anything else this world has to offer. David prays for refuge. He's confident that he will have what he's asked for. And how do we know that he's confident that he will find this refuge? Based on everything else that follows in this psalm. Everything else that follows shows us that he has confidence that he has what he asked for. So let's look at the next section. The Lord is my good. The Lord is my good. In these verses, David sings of the Lord as his source of everything good. And in fact, there is nowhere else he can turn to find good. He will even give an example of what it looks like to turn elsewhere to find good. In verse 2, let's read along. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrow of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. So David's confidence in finding refuge and finding his refuge with God is first because he says, Yahweh is my God. In your Bibles, you'll probably see, it says uh, in verse 16 there, it says, I say to the Lord, so that is the the capital letters there signal to you that this is the, the personal name of God. I say to Yahweh, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. Yahweh is his Lord, his his own God. For the person who sings this song, their assurance comes from the fact that they belong to God. And that means rejecting all other gods, all other religions and loyalties and having God first. This is, this is covenant language. This is the rejection of everything else to belong to the Lord. Because the Lord is our God, we have a refuge with him. He's not something, somebody that we can kind of just pick up when it's convenient and then kind of leave him along the way, you know. Oh, the times are tough, I'll call on God, I get what I want and I'll just ditch him and, and go to the next thing until I need him again, as if he's a, a Santa in the sky that we can just ask for good gifts. No, Yahweh is David's God. Yahweh is our God. He is our Lord all the time. We belong to him. And because we belong to him, we are owned by him because he, we are his treasure and his possession. We can have confidence that we will find that refuge. And such are the blessings for all of God's people that David can say, I have no good apart from you because God is the source of all good things. David sees the world for how it truly is. There is no good apart from God. Nothing is good that doesn't come from God's hand. And we have the privilege of being able to see that because we've seen that the Lord is the one who created everything. God created this world and yes, it has been infected and corrupted by sin, but there is still so much good here because it comes from God. And the goodness that comes from God is not only for his people. Right now, everybody on this world is experiencing God's goodness. Everybody who has ever lived has experienced God's goodness Whether they realize it or not, everything that is good that they have ever had has come from God's hand. Like the rain that falls on the just and the unjust. Like the food that we have. The joy that we've experienced in our relationships with friends and family. The work that we've had. 
the good, the good labour that we, we take satisfaction in and the good labour that has provided for us and our families. All of these things are good that come from God's hand. God gave wine to gladden the heart of man. Everything good has come from God. And David knows that. And we should see that too, that everything good that we have comes from God. Even if, we, even if people don't see it, he is the source of all good. Apart from you, I have no good. And God's people, the saints, the holy ones, they receive God's goodness as well. They are the holy ones in the land and, they, and, and David is taking delight in them because they are part of God's goodness. Part of God's goodness is that he has saved a church. He has saved a people for himself and he has made them holy. They are made good by him. And David, you can see here, he takes delight in them. They are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. They are the bride being purified by God. They are the body of Christ Jesus being made holy. They are a set-apart people who God lovingly chooses to save. And I wonder if you would take those same words on your lips. Would you be able to say the saints, God's people, the holy ones, they are my delight? God chose to save his people God chose to make them his treasured possession. God chose to make them holy. And we should be able to find delight in that, in delight in what God is doing, in delight in the people that God has saved and who has, who has shed his covenant, his blood, who has uh, renewed his covenant and brought these people in. We should take delight in one another as being the people of God. And yes, there's still a ways to go. The church is still pretty messed up. It is full of hypocrites. It is full of people who fail. We are all still sinners. But are we more holy than God that somehow what God is doing in saving a people is not good enough for us? No, we, should, we take delight in God's people as well. Just as David did and just as Jesus himself did in saving a people for himself. But the saints, they belong to God, but there are people who don't belong to God. There are those who run after other gods. And David makes an allusion to them here. Well, he talks, he's talked about the goodness of God and belonging to God, but now here's the opposite. Here's the opposite. The sorrows of those who run after another god shall multiply. There is good with God, but running after other gods, there is sorrow. They suffer because... They are running away from God. The further you run away from God, the more suffering there is. And we're distinguishing here between the kind of holy and righteous suffering that God will lead his people through. We're talking about people rejecting what is good to pursue what is not good. Their sorrow will multiply. And interestingly here, the, the language of this, pursuing other gods, it's a, running after other gods swiftly. It's the same kind of language that in Hebrew they would use to describe a man going and getting a wife. So it's almost like these people, they are courting other gods. They're chasing after them. They want to be joined to them and belong to them as opposed to those people who belong to God. But David doesn't want to have anything to do with them. Their offerings, their drink offerings of blood, I will not pour out. 
I won't participate in their worship. I won't take their God's names up on my lips reverently. I don't want anything to do with it. I only want to belong to the Lord where there is good. The faithful one who belongs to the Lord will not partake in any other worship. And I suppose, just thinking off the top of my head now, there's a great challenge before us. In many of us in our workplaces, we are being invited on a daily basis to take up the new kind of cultural religion of paying, um, uh, paying respects, honouring certain types of people, certain types of lifestyle and certain types of sin that God abhors. And there's a great challenge for us not to take up the language, to take up the lies on our lips. It might seem easy at the moment to just say the words and kind of get it over and done with, pay lip service. But David says, I belong to the Lord. I won't take their names of their gods. I won't partake in their worship. David has confidence in God's hands because he doesn't have divided loyalties. He's not hedging his bets. He's not playing to the crowd on one side and then saying, oh yes, but Lord, I belong to you on the other side. He's all in with God. And that's the way that we should be. All in with God, 100% on God's side. Rejecting everyone and everything else that would come between us and the Lord. What are the benefits of belonging to the Lord? Well, we see in this third section that the Lord is my inheritance. The Lord is my inheritance. David knows that there's no other way. There's no other source of good. He's 100% in for the Lord, the only source of good. And from the Lord, he receives his inheritance and his security. The Lord is my inheritance. And so let's look at... um, Verses 5 to 8, God provides, God teaches. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. So David here is using metaphors of the good life under God to describe what it's like to have God himself. God is his good food and drink. That, that's my chosen portion and my cup, the good bits of the food. You know, if you, if you uh, killed a, a beast, if you're butchering a beast, you know, there's the best bits. You know, there's the, what do you call it? The bit of the steak that, you, that everybody wants. Oh, I've, forgot, I've forgotten what it's called. The... Does anybody remember? What's the long, the long bit that everybody wants? The eye fillet, that's right. God is my eye fillet, my chosen portion, my cup. You hold my lot. So God is also the best plot of land, the best bit of land under God. We, we, we live here in Australia. We have that Australian dream of having the perfect property, you know, that we can live in and enjoy and raise our families in. It's got the trees in the right place. It's got the right aspect. It's on the good street. David is describing God as the one who's who's the best block of land. And he's given him a great inheritance. He has so much more coming down the line to him because of whom he belongs to. The family that he belongs to means that he's going to receive great blessings. 
have a beautiful inheritance. And of course, this is tied up with the language in Israel. You remember as God gave them the promised land, the land was divided and allotted to the 12 tribes. And so each tribe uh, then went and allotted, divided their, um, their allotted lands down so that each family got their own block of land. And they were meant to inherit that block of land. It was meant to belong to them forever, down through their generations. And so even if they sold off a block of land, it was really only a lease because after a certain period of time, that land was meant to come back to your family. And so for the, the Israelite, there was a great joy in receiving the block of land, the land that God had given them, their inheritance that was passed down from generation to generation. So these are great images that we can identify with. We can see this. We can, we can imagine these things, these good things that we desire and enjoy. But David's saying, he's using these images to kind of describe what God is like. But they kind of fail because God is so much better than the eye-fillet. God is so much better than a good block of land. God is so much better than an inheritance. God is like these things, but even better and so much more. God has been so good to his people in giving of himself. And we see that in Jesus Christ, how Jesus Christ was sent into the world so that God might give himself to save his people. And naturally, because of this goodness and abundance of God, what does David do? He bursts into praise. I will bless the Lord. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. He now talks about the fact that God teaches him and instructs him, the Lord who gives me counsel. And in the night also my heart instructs me. God is teaching David and instructing him. Another blessing from God's hand. We don't need to uh, wonder what God says so much because we can come and we can find out what God says. We can be taught by God. We have the, the word of God right at our hand. And I believe you went through Psalm 1 a few weeks ago and you would have seen in Psalm 1 where it, said, where it talks about... Where did, I'll just flip over there seeing as we're in here. The, the righteous man, it talks about in Psalm 1, or person. This is, it's, this is non-gender specific. The righteous man, his delight is in the law. His delight is in the Torah of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. The, the righteous one is, is dwelling on God's word, on God's covenant promises, as well as his commands. He's dwelling on what God has done, and, and he's taught by God. He's instructed by God. And, and David is one of, the, one of the pictures of that righteous man who dwells and meditates on what God has done. And here we see him. He sees the blessed Lord who gives me counsel, who's instructed him, who's teach, taught him, who teaches him the way. And in the night also my heart instructs me. And I don't think this is meant to be here like in the middle of the night I get crazy dreams and that must be God talking to me or, or, or somehow like I have this mystical experience. I think this is because of God instructing him, because he's meditating on God's word, it is, he's eating it up, he's dwelling on it, it's working on his heart even in the middle of the night. God is teaching through his heart. It's bedded down as he dwells on God's word, as he dwells on God's counsel. And this means that David can keep his eyes always on the Lord. The Lord is like his right-hand man who supports him, 
And because of this, because God is there as his support, as his right-hand man, I shall not be shaken. This is his confidence here. Remember, the, the psalm opened with a plea for refuge. The psalm opened with, preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. And now by this part of the psalm, he's so confident, I'm not even going to be shaken because the Lord is at my right hand. Imagine if we were to say these kinds of things, could we say these kinds of things about our own place before the Lord? Can we say, I won't be shaken? Or are you tossed to and fro by the winds that change, by the the waves of chaos in this world? Or do you stand firm on Christ, on the rock? In our last section, we see that the Lord is my eternal joy. The Lord is my eternal joy. And we can again read from verse 9 to 11. Let's read verse 9. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You see here, you see how this starts with a therefore? Because of of what's gone before, because of the as a result of what's gone before, belonging to God, being found in Him, being instructed by Him, finding refuge in Him. That means David can rest secure. Therefore, my heart is glad. His flesh also dwells secure. He has a hope that goes beyond the grave. You will not abandon my soul to Sheol. Sheol being, of course, the the Hebrew word for the realm of the dead, described as a a dark and dusty, waterless place. It's It's not hell, so to speak, but it's just the grave, the pit. You will not abandon my soul to the grave. He has a hope beyond the grave. He doesn't fear death. He doesn't fear abandonment from God. Even like Abraham, who God asked him to sacrifice his son Isaac. In the New Testament, we are told that he had a hope that went beyond the grave, that even if God required him to sacrifice his son, he had a hope that he would see his son again. This is the kind of hope that David has a hope that goes beyond the grave. God is the God of the living, not of the dead. And we can have this hope too. And we'll talk a little bit more about why our hope goes beyond the grave in just a moment. But instead, let's look at the rest of this, these verses on, on the slides up there. We see that instead of David's hope being uh, having a barrier at the end of life, instead of his hope coming to an end, he has a hope through the grave that you will make known to me the path of life. Now, remember, in Hebrew poetry, it's not written in the same way that we might think about poetry. It's not written in like a rhyme or a meter. But instead, these are kind of parallel ideas. And in your Bible, you'll probably see uh, that each verse in the Psalms kind of has two sections. There's the, the, the opening section, and then the second section is kind of indented. And so you, that 
points out to you the fact that these two bits go together. They're usually a parallel to one another or they're an extension of one because of the first bit, therefore the second bit. And sometimes they have even three sections. So we've got bicolons, the two kind of parallel bits, and sometimes we have three, a tricolon, three bits. And in this last verse in Psalm 16, we see a tricolon there where we have three ways of saying the same thing, three kind of perspectives on the same thing. He says, you make known to me the path of life. What's another way of talking about that? In your presence, there is fullness of joy. What's another way of talking about that? At your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. This is, this is kind of this amazing way that this psalm ends with this, this beautiful picture of what it looks like to belong to God. Here is where joy is found. Here is where the fullness of joy. Here is the, where there are pleasures forevermore. Here is the path of life. Here is where we can really find true happiness that we long for. It is at, with God. It is at his right hand. It is in his presence It is with him making known to us the path of life. This is the results of pursuing God. You look to the Lord, you seek after him, and you are blessed. That doesn't mean that everything's going to go right for you in this life. doesn't mean you won't experience sufferings, the sufferings of Christ that Christ has promised us. But beyond these things, through these things, we will still experience the blessing of the Lord because he is good. He is the source of all good, and those who belong to him experience his good forevermore. So why would we want to pursue anything else, anything less than the fullness of life? What other offer compares to what the Lord holds out for us? Everything else is is shadowy and and fading away. The Lord is our eternal joy. But let's think about David as he wrote these words. He says, my flesh dwells secure. You will not abandon my soul to the grave or let your Holy One see corruption. And we wait on, hang on a second. David's flesh didn't dwell secure because he died. David was buried and he remains dead to this day. So did he get this wrong? Is he mostly kind of inspired by the Holy Spirit, but when he was writing this psalm, he had a bit of a slip-up and he got this bit wrong? What do you reckon, kids? No. No, this, as we are told in the New Testament, was actually looking forward to Jesus Christ. David's body decayed, his body turned to dust, But just like the rest of the Psalms, it finds its fulfillment in Jesus. It couldn't literally be David because David died. But David prophetically spoke about the future. And Peter tells us about this in his sermon at Pentecost. He's talking to his his fellow Jews after the Holy Spirit has come. And he says, brothers, I say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, the Holy One that was to come. That he was not abandoned to Hades, to the grave, nor did his flesh see corruption. 
This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, and the we being the apostles. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. You see, David spoke prophetically about the day that was to come, the Holy One that was to come, the saint that was to come, who was Jesus Christ. He was the one who would not be abandoned, that he rose again after being killed. You remember that Jesus was sent to the cross, that he died in our place and he was buried in the tomb. They even stabbed him with a spear to make sure he was dead. They buried him in a tomb, but three days later, he rose again. After three days, he rose from the dead. He was not abandoned to Sheol. He was not, uh, he didn't see corruption. This is our Jesus Christ, who is the resurrected Messiah, who lives. But you know what? Because he lives, he has promised to give his resurrection life to all of those who belong to him. He has defeated death and he says, you can have eternal life if you come to me. So you don't need to be abandoned to Sheol. You can pray this psalm with confidence. Sure, you might, uh, you might die, your body might still be buried in decay, but you can have a hope that lasts through death, that, you will, that, your, that your soul will not be abandoned. Without Jesus, you are dead in your sin. Without Jesus, you have no hope of eternal pleasure at God's right hand. There's no lasting joy outside God's presence. You have experienced God's goodness. But there will come a day when God says, I'm going to take my goodness away. You have lived on the benefit of my goodness all your life and you have not turned to me. You have not responded to my kindness and my generosity and my patience, but you have continually spit in my face. And one day he will take that goodness away. But... There is a way to experience that goodness of God forever, to have that happiness that we long for, to have that joy that we, that we desire because it, it is available through Jesus Christ. So how do you find this goodness? How do you find this life? You find this refuge in God through Jesus Christ. Peter, in his sermon, will go on to tell us how we can respond to this good news because the Jews, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and Peter and the rest, uh, and said to the Peter and the rest of the apostles, "Brothers, what shall we do?" And Peter said to them, "Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord, our God, calls to Himself." There is a hope that you can have beyond the grave, and you need to receive it by repenting and believing. Put your trust in him. Receive that Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit that brought Jesus to life after he died can bring you to life as well and give you a resurrection body that will never decay and never see corruption, just like Jesus himself never saw corruption. This psalm is a psalm of joy and a psalm of hope for us. And I hope that you will be able to pray this psalm and that this will be true for you, you'll be able to say that the Lord is at my right hand and therefore I will never be shaken. I hope that you'll be able to see how Jesus came and fulfilled this psalm. And he was the one, the righteous one, 
who God didn't abandon to the grave. So in closing, I would like to pray this psalm for us. Preserve us, O God, for in you we take refuge. We say to you, Lord, you are our Lord. We have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all our delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood we will not pour out or take their names on our lips. The Lord is our chosen portion and our cup. You hold our lot. The lines have fallen for us in pleasant places. Indeed, we have a beautiful inheritance. We bless the Lord who gives us counsel. In the night also our hearts instruct us. We have set the Lord always before us. And because you are at our right hand, we shall not be shaken. Therefore, our hearts are glad and our whole being rejoices. Our flesh also dwells secure, for you will not abandon our souls to Sheol. You will not let us see everlasting corruption. You make known to us the path of life, and in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. We thank you, Lord, that this is available to us through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And we praise and glorify you in his name. Amen.